Welcome back to your Patreon episode of Mechanical Freak from Seattle, that city of the future, the bleeding edge of neoliberal dystopia today. Today. Uh, I, how's it going, Munya? I'm Greg, and this is Hi, Munya. Munya. Hi, Hi, guys. Munya. What's up? Oh, I'm, I'm chilling. Everybody else is on vacation, I guess. Uh, yeah, you know. Uh, they're taking, you know, they're they're doing a sick out. Cassidy, <laughs> Brian, and Colin are on a sick out because of COVID. <laughs> Even though we do this podcast by remote, yeah, um, they're flexing their labor power. And <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, you and, and importantly, it. we we are management. Uh, yes. I guess management and is stepping in to do the job workers. of uh yeah yeah the actual workers and it's gonna fuck it up because like we're gonna talk in our next episode the main episode later in the week we're gonna talk some labor stories and uh we may not have cassie for that and to not tonight we're talking cop shit and uh we don't even have brian platt uh national authority on uh american policing we, we are literally the John Deere, uh, Jim and Pam trying to use heavy yeah. machinery right yeah, we now are. Oh my because God. of the sick out. Just because they didn't want to put themselves at risk because uh, a million and a half new uh, coronavirus cases were reported in America, the country you you live in and love today. A million and a half, almost. Today. To be fair, that seems to be like a major backlog of reporting because the weekend like it slows down on the weekend testing locations are closed um and like also the processing mm -hmm. is largely closed but um the rolling like seven day average i think that the new york times tracks here is uh seven hundred and thirty seven and a half thousand a day um so and that's climbing like a hundred thousand a day for like the last week i mean i'm looking at the graph from the new york times just shooting I mean, it's like a up, rocket ship like blowing away we're now at okay the absolute peak of the seven day average previous to now was january was oh this time pretty much actually exactly literally this time last day. year uh to the day yeah almost to the day maybe to the day in this time last year and it was get this a rolling average of 250,000 cases a day <laughs> and we're now at three times the that. absolute peak but also the average <laughs> at that time like it wasn't spiking didn't go up nearly this fast so the rolling average was not nearly so far it was only like 10 15,000 behind the actual daily average and today the rolling average is half the daily average I and mean, we actually had on friday right no slowdown nine hundred thousand new cases so yeah um looking Not bad good. we're going to talk more about that uh later in the week but um and how that's affecting uh schools but um god damn dude i this shit is fucked man i i just finally at the very last minute decided i texted my one of my good buddies dave in la to tell him no i will not be coming to his wedding oh man uh, i i i met him and his uh wife to be shortly after they met on a job we were all doing together oh wow cool um you know they're really important to me i wish i could be there for them but i i'm not getting on a fucking plane 
Yeah. Uh, that's enough COVID talk for now. Um, we are going to dive into a perennial favorite topic. We've got a, this is a really charming episode in the saga of our local pigs. Uh, SPD's uh, community theater doing a little performance on the air, doing a live radio play. Finally. Guys and dolls. We're just a <laughs> bunch of crazy guys and dolls. uh so like take yourself back i know it it sucks and we've talked about all this so many fucking times on this show but there is something i i promise there is some reason to talk about this stuff now um this is you know take yourself back to the uprisings in may of 2020 Uh, getting your ass kicked when you had hope for the future yeah Funny how those things go together. Um, It is funny, yeah. So this is from the Seattle Times. This is from Daniel Beekman. At a crucial moment during 2020's racial justice protests, Seattle police exchanged a detailed series of fake radio transmissions about a non-existent group of menacing right-wing extremists. The radio chatter about members of the Proud Boys marching around downtown Seattle, some possibly carrying guns, and then heading to confront protesters on Capitol Hill, was an improper ruse or dishonest ploy that exacerbated a volatile situation, according to findings released Wednesday by the city's Office of Police Accountability. So, this is something you may remember from, I don't know, the fucking day it happened, uh, and discussion of it, a long time after indeed um spec is credited in this uh seattle times article here as being one of the first people to sort of identify the potential of this as a ruse and discuss it uh broadly uh and you know in the course of his sort of extensive online uh reporting during the uprisings which i think was really valuable um, and they also credit Omari Salisbury for um, pushing, for asking questions about this of the OPA that they couldn't answer about um, mm. what all this was about. Uh, so take yourself back. This is basically, you know, if you recall, if you're not listening from Seattle and you weren't here, uh, we'll give you sort of a brief uh, rundown here. Um, basically, like in many cities, there were marches and protests. One of them went up from city hall of a large one to eventually made it up Capitol Hill and was intending to march along some of the main roads there, including past the SPD's East precinct. SPD stopped it with a barricade of, you know, bike cops and such. And for the next several days, uh, after continually escalating the situation by attacking people there, you know, first by reacting to a pink umbrella famously that sort of meandered over the line and Mm. uh, pepper spraying everybody. They began to then gas the entire neighborhood for days on end, uh, nearly kill several protesters shooting rubber bullets and gas grenades at them, spread a bunch of fucking lies and bullshit about like incendiary devices that were really candles except into their welcoming arms, a would be mass shooter who did fucking uh, put a bullet in someone 
uh, and try to drive through the crowd and then was, uh, you know, like base almost practically high five by SPD after charging through their lines with a gun. So bizarre. I still I think about that often, actually. It can't be overstated. The absolute insanity of a police department just like going completely wild on an entire neighborhood because some people wanted to protest in the public right away. Um, they literally tear gassed for nights on end a whole dense urban neighborhood. Yeah, uh, yeah. For for people who aren't listening in Seattle, I mean, Capitol Hill is the most dense neighborhood in Seattle. You know, like it's it's um it's next to downtown. It's called Capitol Hill because you have to kind of walk up a hill to get there. But uh, there's it, you don't you, there's not a more dense neighborhood than Capitol Hill. Uh, so I mean, it's pretty significant. Yeah. And this, you know, people lived all around this area, kids choking on tear gas in their homes, trying to sleep. Uh, Horrifying thing that like, no, this town has not grappled with, um, nor certainly not the national media. And that is largely because the whole thing became overshadowed by one particular development that came out of this situation. Um, the next thing that happened was uh, inexplicably in a criminal fashion and surrounded by lots of lies. The <laughs> a mem- like uh, officers like uh, leader leading officers in the East Precinct decided against the uh, wishes of the city that they would strategically abandon the East Precinct, which they said literally was because they thought it was going to burn down. They thought protesters were going to light it aflame. Uh, so they left uh, and left the city to burn. It's a block, an urban block of housing that thousands of people live in or hundreds anyway. Um, so that's interesting. We got intel that the Antifas are going to arson this place that's at- attached to like, you know, the, a thousand apartment complexes. Uh, you know, this is not like this is not like the uh, Minneapolis precinct where, um, you know, it was just a standalone. Basically, it was like a, pol- a police department, like, like a in a standalone, Wendy's, like empty you know, parking, parking lot. Yeah, like in a parking lot. Like this is literally like, like imagine like a bodega or something. You know, like where there's like a building on top of it and everything. I mean, it's not a standalone building to say the least. So it's like right based- next to a lot of apartments. Yeah. Uh, so this was, uh, you know, you can look at this a lot of ways, but this claim was largely was bullshit that you know they that they thought the thing was going to burn down but to some degree they probably believed it and that's an interesting fact in itself you know we i've argued on this show that that is a primary motivation for leaving is because they wanted it to burn down they wanted the yeah. block to burn down so that they could come they in with a military force and start killing people yeah um, exactly now their whole concept here was that they were going to leave and the building was going to get immediately Molotov cocktailed immediately firebombed and be set aflame. And they could basically say, look, that's what happened. Yes. We, we, for, we planted hired moving trucks and we ordered the, uh, national guard to load up all our most valuable things. We stole all the most valuable things from the department, much of which was never found that we just like took off within our patrol cars and took home. 
But despite the fact that this was being organized for days and clearly in public, they were going to stay what they wanted in their minds to say was, look, we fled the firebombing like we knew it was coming. So we pulled back so we could catch them in the act. And, oh, we just missed it. And they burned the building and the whole block down and people died. And so now we have to run in uh, like the cavalry and start shooting people. Um, yeah. This totally backfires on them and go, starts to go wrong immediately when nothing happens. When all that happens, when no one even goes in the fucking building. Yeah, when all that happens is, for the most part, <clears throat> people stand, maybe stand around the building. And as we know, in the minds of a lot of people at the time, like, we're also worried, like, that damage would be done to the building. And a lot of people were standing around to prevent that from happening. This causes, I think what happens next uh and that is what uh the seattle times is talking about here this new because this and the thing that is happening now is that the opa is releasing their report on this uh on wednesday and that is uh what we just read there that some officers on their radio which they knew was being monitored because that was very publicly online people were uh posting recordings and were monitoring them constantly there was like twitch streams and all of that of of the police radio and they did a little radio play about armed right-wing reactionary extremists uh, coming up to confront protesters on Capitol Hill. The Times continues, the officers who participated described a group gathering by City Hall and moving around downtown. They delivered reports such as, it looks like a few of them might be open carrying and hearing from the Proud Boys group they may be looking for somewhere else for confrontation. So literally saying, yeah, we talked to them. Uh, they, I'm, you know, some of it was like, oh, they seem peaceful, but um, they are armed and uh, they may be looking for a confrontation. Yeah, somewhere they else. seem peaceful. <laughs> so, this is them saying like, yeah, we, the cops, we talked to these armed right wing vigilantes and like, well, we let them go. But we're just saying, yeah, they're coming up there, which yeah, is very they're plausible. Down because there. <laughs> You know, put yourself in the mind uh, may not be hard for some of us who were uh, there some of these nights. And no, that, and that who, honestly that felt very real. And, and I fully believed it. Like at the time, like in the moment, if someone told me that Proud Boys were marching up there and they got it from a police chatter, I, I'd be like, yeah, I mean, that's what they do. You know, well, like <laughs> they, they had, you know, there had been Proud Boy gatherings in Seattle. We knew already that. In Portland, uh, Portland police had been in direct con- contact with Proud Boys during protests, yep. directing them where to go, where mm. not to go, where to go to conf- be in confrontation, where not to go to be out of you know harm's way, how to coordinate. I mean, it was with a legit collab. Messages. Yeah. So all this is the context of all this. Uh, and so... We continue here. Social media posts warning about the Proud Boys by people who were monitoring police radio transmission caused alarm in the protest zone where some people armed and barricaded themselves that night. Though some people in the zone may have brought guns regardless of the chatter, the ruse improperly added fuel to the fire, OPA Director Andrew Meyerberg concluded. The June 8 chatter about Proud Boys was part of an approved, quote, misinformation effort via radio that multiple police leaders knew about, according to Wednesday's closed case summary by Meyerberg, which will be reviewed by interim police chief Adrian Diaz for disciplinary rulings. 
fabricating the group of Proud Boys as part of the effort violated department policies, Myberg determined. So they did this little ruse. And the important thing to talk about here, I think, is that it worked. What you had happen, as Beacon says here, is this added fuel to a tense situation. Uh, It is the reason that people showed up with assault rifles at what became the Chaz and then the Chop. And Mm. that is the narrative that went around the fucking world was of... Firstly, of the armed protesters, the photos that were used for weeks were from that night, this night, when, oh, man. you know, yeah. hours after um, this little uh, radio play happened. So this was the narrative that went around the country and the world. Specifically, those photos were used from that night of protesters with assault rifles around the world for weeks. And that became the narrative of. First of all, what the Chaz, what the chop was, mm-hmm. this sort of armed takeover of a city block by protesters. You know, what we know about the chop, because we were there, was that all of this was no, none of yep. this was a fucking like program by any group of uh, by any like organization, any like protester group. No one was like, we're going to establish an autonomous zone here. Yeah. And no one was like, you know what, uh, you know, in some independent, no one when the when the BLM protest started was like, you know what, we need to have armed patrols of uh, dudes with assault rifles. I shouldn't just say dudes. Um, yeah. Of people with assault rifles uh, patrolling our protests. These are things that came out of a very specific context, a context that was essentially a fucking war zone, but also in which yeah. there was a literal like COINTEL type a counterintelligence program a disinformation campaign that included this radio ruse but also includes the fucking abandonment of the east precinct which again was designed to at at worst get someone to try and firebomb the building and maybe have it burned down or maybe be you know just damaged which would have been enough and at best to, to cause a chaotic situation so what you have here is a sequence of events that is essentially completely orchestrated and in the control of SPD, not in the control in the sense that they were like really pulling the strings of every detail or that everything they did worked out exactly how they wanted it to, or there's some kind of fucking geniuses, but that this whole situation is not something that organically came out of these protests outside of the context of insane militarized like attacks on the protest and a counterintelligence program against the protests themselves. And what you have, what I think that's worth talking about now is that not only did the, the chop become the national narrative around the protests in Seattle and therefore like a fucking, a rallying cry on the right, but a punchline for everyone in the country about like the wor- the worst direction that the that these the uprisings could go, the silliest sort of formation here, and that extends even to the left nationally, which is why I think it's worth talking about now. This is something Brian was harping on 
the other day at me um, is like the frustration. We were talking about this, the frustration of hearing the the left broadly in America, like either do the like, well, how do we critique the chop? You know, like, how do we thoughtfully critique what happened in Seattle or just using as a punchline? Like, how silly is was the Chaz like the autonomous zone from not not only from the right? I mean, like this was even coming from like the from the left too on Twitter who was not even yeah. like, you know, uh, there, I still mean, is. to me, that's what was really just so, and still is, it's really what was so disorienting about the whole thing to me was like to be there, experience something, see it for your own eyes on the ground and then see how that actually manifests into a media narrative and how it's like actually perceived. I, I know that this happens, you know, and I'm like aware that this happens, but to actually, you know, fundamentally experience something like that um, by seeing and experiencing one reality in the midst while like just turning on the TV or looking on your phone and just seeing something completely different on all sides um, absolutely blew my mind. I, st- I still think about that a lot, to be honest. Yeah. It just, it just really does kind of, blow my mind and just shows kind of how powerful like you know media narratives can be and part of that is easier to come to to come to grips with to understand which is yes of course it's like everything else there's a right-wing media framework that gets developed they pick the best you know tucker carlson picks the best photos and then of course the the you know supposedly liberal corporate media picks up the same thing that's great but what's really instructive about this and this is what brian on was was brian was harping on at me the other day about is that the left you know the you know the broad left in america has continued to use the chaz as a punchline um and that is not to like take ownership of the chaz or to uh praise it as some bold experiment there are silly things about that the sort of you know, the sort of anything between like hippie and anarchist impulses that were kind of present a little bit in some of the street art that came to, you know, like, like the, the signs that said, like, now leaving America, now entering the, the Capitol Hill autonomous zone. Um, Those things are silly. The idea of of setting up an autonomous zone, the that it, it is silly. That's not what happened is the problem with this. No one set up a fucking autonomous zone. That was that's a few people in a and like a poster. And even that was reacting to a situation. It was reacting to things that were completely determined by the city and the police department that were designed to cause chaos. Leaving the East Precinct, what whatever else was designed to cause some kind of chaos doing the fucking radio play about proud boys coming to murder protesters with guns was designed to scare the shit out of people and cause chaos and to and the fact that and that all happened after the context of thousands of protesters being brutalized an entire neighborhood being attacked literally an entire neighborhood in their homes people weren't even who didn't give a shit about the protests attacked yeah. by the police department with chemical, like military munitions when they left, like, what are you going to do? Go home? Like 
No, the protests continued like it did in lots of cities. And the fact that like someone put up a sign that says you're now leaving America and entering the Chaz literally has no meaning and would not ha- even have any media play if the cops had not literally themselves decided to leave. And so whatever like annoying like anarchist tendencies to like talk about things like this that came out of the Chaz or like the weird sort of hippie stuff, mostly it was people protesting. The protest had been happening for a week under brutal occupation by the police and then they left and you stay people stayed around and protested. That's all the that's all the Chaz was like now. Yeah. Other bad things happen. I think I think people showing up with assault rifles was probably not a positive development. Uh, but again, this is something that was orchestrated deliberately in one way or another by the Seattle Police Department. Yeah, it and, was a manifestation of conditions, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, like the conditions of the job, like how it was, you know, orchestrated by police like the those the assault rifle presence just doesn't come from nowhere or is random it's like manifested from genuine you know fears and conditions that were uh taking place it wasn't like you know that was the design and that's like a actually a pretty logical response to you know what went down and what has been going down around the country it's just unfortunate that it happened and it's certainly not positive and certainly did not um you know manifest into great things but I think looking at the big picture, um, you know, like you said, Greg, who was in control of this whole thing. Well, how did that chop even happen in the first place? Um, and why did those people are die? Like, why did people die? People I mean, died yeah. in the Chaz, in the chop, because there was violence. And that is another thing that's used as even on the left as like a, you know, like an easy punchline again about how stupid the Chaz got because, and look, you know, which is fucking unbelievable. And because, and it is, it is a fucking tragedy that people died there. But again, it's another situation completely orchestrated by the police. They abandoned the area and people need to see through that shit. Like that's what, that's what really gets me scared protesters into arming themselves visibly cause raising the tension. And then you add into that just, the nature of urban crime in America that is a reality. I mean, the nature of violent crime everywhere in America that is a reality. And you get a few people being shot. And what has not been talked about in the national press is that uh, the police specifically forbade uh, um, medical and fire personnel from coming into the Chaz, uh, withheld them, mm-hmm. uh, lied about it. Didn't allow... Um, um... Didn't allow the fire department uh, to come in either, I think. Come in when people were shot until a lot later after they came in. Then they lied about being held back, which later, of course, uh, body cams show was bullshit that they had no resistance, that they did it on their own timetable. To that, like, you know, like the ambulances literally need the police sign off for them to come in. Like they're like actually beholden to (laughs) police. So even if they wanted to, they'd have to get police's approval so you know there's a, there's a lot of control and power there so literally, i mean they're just letting people bleed out and of course there this this was like a media coup for spd for the reaction to the protest nationwide it's like look this is what happens when the protesters get their way they'll take over a city they'll chase it they'll kick out the police they'll start shooting people they all the other lies that were told about them by the police about them like 
having armed checkpoints and asking for IDs and like not letting people in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The I forgot about total that. Total bullshit. The idea, I mean, became cemented <laughs> in people's minds that 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 people took over these city blocks and wouldn't let the police in, which was never the case. Yeah. Police left and then they came back when they wanted to and they came into the chop when they wanted to without anyone stopping them. They so, literally like walked in like there was like a time when like a few police just like walked into their office to like grab some stuff and then like left again. In a very real way, the chop didn't exist. It was just a street people were protesting yeah. on and a park, a very large, <laughs> like busy urban yeah. park. And the protests continued to happen and people sold, yeah, fucking hot dogs and T-shirts and shit. I think because we were there, because we saw it, because we know the details intimately having followed it so fucking closely talked about it so long on the on this show that we are able to see that like people on the left in this country have largely many people have bought into essentially a right-wing framework about what happened in seattle detail you know covering like all those things Everyone outside of Seattle turned into like just like right wingers. It, it, like uh, when when the position came to the chop, man. That's it's just I, I don't know. I'm just so I didn't think that I was like still upset over it, but after just kind of like hearing the summary, I still kind of am. Like it's just it's it's sad, but it's it just shows that propaganda does work, and you know media narratives do matter. And it was completely controlled by the Seattle police. The right. Time. And the, the issue isn't. The issue for I think a lot of people became like, oh, do we do we endorse the autonomous zone, this like anarchist autonomous zone that kicked out the police? Or do we say like, well, this probably isn't the best strategy. And it's like and now since we kind of determined, no, this was kind of a dumb thing, we just we can make fun of it like a punchline. The problem is that to arrive at any of that, any of that, you have to have bought the right wing media framework about it, literally, which is totally untrue, which just has nothing to do with reality. and. That is something to think about. Um, I think there are more lessons to be taken from that than about than the Chaz itself, because no, the Chaz wasn't something anyone fucking organized. OK, um, you can have no I one think, wanted that to happen. No, you yeah. don't ask for that. Like, that was not a goal. Of now, the you protest. can have I think a useful critique would be like, what can what can movements do in the future not to fall into these traps set by the police? Yeah. Um, but that the I mean, the obvious answer you're going to have, you're going to come to first. The first order answer is uh, you're going to have to be a lot more organized. You're going to have to be talking about. Yeah. Like organizations like mobilizing people in the street. That's not what happened anywhere in America. In, in Seattle, it was a bunch of individuals coming down. It was to protest the same shit. The most was anarchic, no fucking- individualist kind of you know thing because we don't have like you know it's just the we're just very like disorganized and we weren't like you know prepared for it that's just what happens when there's not like you know like essentially organized uh movement which takes time it takes time in community it doesn't happen overnight it's just yeah we just do not have it and we nationally we do not have it it's not like the dsa was out there going like yeah let's form the chop you know yeah let's do it we did democratic centralism and voted for the chop yeah, it's just a thing that happened that, again, was largely determined by the people. And, and honestly, honestly, I think that in the moment, if you're just like with a bunch of individuals in this chaotic scene where the police leave, but in the midst of like the Minneapolis Police Department being burned down, to be honest, the outcome of people just kind of coming together and deciding to just kind of wall off the streets 
and just have that as like kind of like an occupied like protest zone um, that doesn't like actually, um, you know, do anything like with the police department or like touches it or anything that honestly like felt like really positive to me, you know, at the time, like yeah. it just, it, it seemed like um, as far as any other, uh, you know, outcome in that material moment, um, that outcome seemed like the most like positive out of the possible ones that could happen in a really high tense, high emotional situation when you're protesting um, wrongful like deaths um, and murders um, from police and like add on to that, like the threat of like right wing violence and everything like for that to happen in the way that it did, to be honest, was a very positive option that was selected just by individuals without an organization. It could have. And really, I think what the police were really hoping for was not that. So I was relieved when, you know, people just walled it off and didn't just storm the precinct, you know, like the fact that it was just like kind of, oh, we're not going to completely take the bait on this and we're just going to continue protesting and just being on the street. You know, I mean, like it, it, that's what blows my mind is like how, what more can you even like uh, ask for in like the reaction to that initial. And now what happens and plays out of that different story, but the initial reaction, I don't know what, what else you could really ask for it when there's no organization and, uh, you don't fall for the trap of burning down the precinct. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. I, you I know, know, but I mean, I'm even going to push back. If you'll forgive me, Munya, on your phrase walled off, please, because really all that happened is that, you know, because uh, people had been driving all over America and including that very spot had been driving cars through crowds of people trying to kill them. And like, again, that guy yeah, like exactly. trying to do a fucking mass shooting before getting high fived by SPD, like drove his car like at high speed yeah. around. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, my sister he, was in that crowd uh, when he like pulled out that gun and stuff. And when he like, you know, like my sister was right there. I could see her. I saw her in that video um, when he had like his gun out walking over to the crowd. You know what I mean? Like my sister was right there. My little sister. So when I say walled off, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't mean like, you know, a uh, freaking, you know, like checkpoint. But what I do mean is that, you know, um, a street that's usually open for cars was not open for cars. Right. And that was the barricades, decision that people Top made. barricades got moved into places that would deter more uh, random car attacks. And in the context of it exactly. having happened literally that week in that spot. And it's like, I mean, it would be stupid not to. This narrative you have to like, do that a group of activists took over a city block and it's just bullshit. It just didn't yeah. happen in a very serious way. The Chaz yeah. did not exist. It didn't happen. It was a media creation. There was a protest continuing to go on there. There were people gathering, but that's it. Yeah. And there were, there were some, you, you'd find somebody saying or graffitiing anything you want, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like imagine people just like gathering in your local union square um, just like every single day or something. Right. Uh, you know, and then like the media <laughs> just suddenly like turns that into what shop was. I mean, like that's, it, it was a recurring protest that was happening. Yeah. And that was it. Like it wasn't anything special, but it was made out to be like, you know, uh, like Rocky control maps or something, you know? Yeah. And I mean, exactly. This was just one element about how the police, using counterinsurgency intelligence tactics, you know, created that situation. And this is coming out. Now we know for sure that this was an organized, elaborate ruse 
to send the message that there were armed right wing vigilantes on the street. Um, it was actual like there were leadership people in SPD who organized and ordered it. The article goes on to say they're not going to get in trouble because they've already left the department and moved on to other jobs. The four people who actually did it on the radio, they're not going to get punished because they were ordered to do it. And they're just, you know, dumb hogs anyway. So their, their, their superiors are not going to get, uh, the, you know, can't be held accountable in any way. Not that they could be anyway. I think we need to dwell on this, like, and understand that like this is this came very easily to SPD because this is stuff that cops have done for fucking decades against movements of black for black power of any kind, left movements of any kind, labor movements of any kind. They do this kind of shit and it is happening out there all the time and it they don't think twice about it. And you know, there's all this shit in the article about how, like, well, um, you know, this was an improper use of, uh, the, you know, misinformation. And Harold said, you know, this had done has done immeasurable damage to public trust. Misinformation, especially of this inflammatory nature, is totally unacceptable from our Seattle police officers. And this kind of tactic should never have been considered. Lisa Herbold on the council came out and said she is requesting that SPD and OPA immediately work together to fully implement OPA's 29 recommendation on this is uh, an older recommendation on the uses of ruses and disinformation and create a clear policy requiring the SPD's uses of ruse ruses be fully documented, which has not occurred in the past. What do you think about what that means? The essential mm, yeah. takeaway there is ruses and disinformation, counterintelligence like activities is a normal thing we expect police to do, but they have to do it with some within some guidelines and some with some oversight right. and proper documentation. Another thing that a lot of the left, you know, a lot of people, certainly a lot of liberals, but even people on the left can't like refuse to get behind is the idea of an abolitionist program. And it's shit like this. that, yeah. And the whole experience of 2020 with SPD brings you to the conclusion that it's, it's not just correct. It's inevitable. Like you can't like look at this shit and look at your elected liberal democratic, uh, council member going like, well, the ruses and deception uh have to be you know better regulated like that's the best they can come up with here it's like oh yeah yeah yeah. i was bad in this case but like generally yeah well uh, we just expect cops to be doing this shit like that's the reality like, like their job and that's like yeah i mean that's like what they're expected to do and that's what you know the elected officials know that i mean if you have a if you have an <laughs> literal department that is fundamental purpose is to deceive, uh, control and kill people. Um, that is something that you can never reform. That's the best they can come up with is let's do some more oversight. Let's reform this. 
I mean, I, I just, I, I mean, like the, saying, experience, the experience of being in Seattle in 2020 was basically like, I mean, the way it went down and to see that it was kind of like if we, if we directed like our own, don't look up just to like make the point of like, this is what will happen. And this is why the police are not performable. And this is how our elected officials would respond. I mean, it was like comic book style level on the nose comprehension of uh, making a point that this shit is never going to be it and is never going to actually work. And we need to have an alternative solution um, that is outside of the idea of policing uh, yeah. and like voting and elected officials and even calling a representative or even lobbying them is not going to change that. Right. Like those people are not going to hold this wild ass rogue uh, department known as the police uh, into account. I mean, like it's, it's not something that you can just like reform away. Yeah. And I, I think it's just politically inevitable as well. Like, I'm, I don't think that that's going to be, you know, what brings about the revolution to the end of capitalism. I, I'm not even saying like, it's what is going to radicalize people though. It probably is. It's just like, this shit is crazy making like, you know, like it's insane. Like you can't, it's, it's a like, contradiction that can never be resolved. And, and it's something that um, will have to come to a, a boiling point now. Is it, uh, I know, I, I don't want to sound like we're like, you know, like 1930s socialists thinking that socialism was inevitable because it felt like it really was back then, right? Um, uh, and it was going to happen soon. Um, but, you know, I, I will say that, you know, the contradictions come to a height and it can never sustain where it is right now and it'll either morph into basically like a uh, form of more overt fascism or the department will be abolished. Like you can't, it, it, there, there are like two paths to go down where like, you know, I don't want to say like there's a predetermined inevitability that this shit is going to be abolished, but there's definitely an inev inevitability in my mind that um, there's going to be a path that will be a lot worse or it will be abolished. Um, but it can't just continue on like this in this middle phase because it, it's just too antagonistic to the people. Um, it, you can't, it's, it's not something that you can't even like have a pressure relief valve for, um, something has got to give. And I just, we can't let it go give in the different direction. And you can't have a coherent program. There's no coherent program where you can address these issues and seriously talk about them that is that isn't abolition there isn't something yep. you can put together and be serious and talk about and really talk all you can do is ignore and avoid like lisa Her herbold is doing because it's not just about even the tactic of ruses and deception like yep uh, like you're not like obviously there's going to be a lot of people you're never going to convince who are obviously just going to go say well yeah they're police they need to protect us they need to do all kinds of neat tricks like i've seen on tv whatever there's a layer beyond that that they don't get to in the times doesn't get to in this article which is that to conceive of doing this in the first place along with all the their other reaction to the protests indicates very clearly like everything about american policing does that the police are 100% and totally politicized. They are a political yes. force in America. They see themselves as political. 
they see themselves as right-wing reactionary, and that informs how they respond to crises and they see themselves as nativists too. Yeah, they're fucking. Like there's a, a real like nativist movement in there. It nativist white nationalist. It's run through with all these things, but at the base level, they are a right-wing political uh, formation in America that has a lot of power. And that's why they react in the ways they do. That's why they could not take, they reacted the way they do in, to the uh, 2020 uprisings, say, as opposed to how the cops in DC reacted on January 6th. Okay. They are politicized. And if you cannot wrap your head around that, uh, and I guess it's no surprise, like in a, libs in America don't even believe our politics are politicized or if they are, they shouldn't be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't believe that the Supreme court is political yeah. <laughs> and they don't believe that Congress should be political. They're pissed off that it is. I mean, that's what we're dealing with, but you can't have that's, a that's where we're at right now. program that makes sense. That doesn't acknowledge that the police are politicized a politicized like and right-wing force in America on the streets and in our politics and governance, and that uh, they've got to go. But that, for that reason, like you have to undo it as an institution. So that moves us on to another local story here, which, um, you know, it's maybe a little more, like in some fucked up way, a little more lighthearted. I mean, Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> yeah. This is a, another that's, Seattle that's Times headline. Our, like, policing is is that this is a lighthearted story it it is this is like uh, suburban governments just being in over, internationally in over their head you you love to see this um in this in the times kent that's a suburb here suburb of kent badly underestimated outrage over assistant police chief's nazi insignia mayor says it's by mike mike carter in the times mayor kent dana ralph says her administration badly underestimated the public outrage that would spring from the decision not to fire assistant an assistant police chief who posted Nazi insignia on his office door, embraced the rank of an officer in Adolf Hitler's murderous Schutzstaffel, or SS, and joked about the Holocaust. The admission came as Ralph... Who Who could have thought... (laughs) <laughs> right. I mean, this get this deals in the same issues. The inability to confront this shit is why you need an abolitionist program like nothing else fucking makes sense. The admission came as Ralph and police chief Rafael Padilla issued a somber public mea culpa apology and lengthy video explanation Friday on YouTube as to the reasoning behind the city's decision to discipline assistant chief Derek Hammerzell by giving him two weeks off, which he could take as vacation, meaning paid vacation, and ordering him to undergo cultural sensitivity training. He had to go to uh, Robin D'Angelo's office hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ralph and the <laughs> chief. We have to be right fragility, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, I'm honestly, that's probably is it. Uh, Ralph and the chief were forced to revisit that decision made in July and called last week for Kamersel's resignation. Let's repeat that. Called for his resignation. The chief of police and the mayor of the city. Sir, I ask you to step down voluntarily. 
Have you no decency, you, sir, officer must Nazi? Consider. Have At you no last, decency? Will you not resign? <laughs> In what will likely be a costly violation of the city's contract with the police union by imposing a disabled additional discipline in a case that was resolved last summer. That decision followed an international avalanche of contempt and anger focused on the suburban South King County municipality. <laughs> News of the incident, which occurred in September 2020, broke last week after a citizen's watchdog group, No Secret Police, uh, good on them, obtained documents from the investigation through mm. public disclosure. Uh, so this is quoting the mayor. I am sorry. I have let you down. Ralph said in a 30 minute video, our community, our region is hurting and your trust in us has been damaged. And our response in handling the situation has fallen short. Padilla, the chief said he was tremendously sorry and embarrassed. This should not have happened ever. Oh my God. In an interview, in an interview Friday afternoon, hours before the video was posted at 9 PM, <laughs> 9 p.m. on a Friday, they posted this shit. Ralph reiterated that the city <laughs> took this incident extremely seriously from the start. Okay, but clearly they fucking oh, didn't. But it's a great. fair statement that we they, really they, underestimated <laughs> the reaction. The reaction. Oh, oh, so basically, oh no, no, no. We really the, took it seriously the, I mean, from the, the start. These guys. Yeah. Go on. Oh, sorry. I, I guess I guess we're on a pretty. Yeah. brutal delay um no i mean like it's it's a the, the the fact that um they just say it i mean this goes to show how unaccountable the fucking police are is that they'll actually go out and say um no i mean like it's totally fine we just like didn't think people's reaction would be so brutal like that's why we're even here right now like we just thought that you guys just wouldn't give a shit about this and they'll just openly yeah. say it's like <laughs> we it wasn't it's about the fucking like public reaction <laughs> right we took this very seriously contrary to all evidence but what we didn't realize was uh what a pr problem this would be if anyone ever found out yeah uh, since the investigation began the city has hired investigators blah 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 blah. ralph's in the video ralph's in the video and so now ralph says in the video that the city that city officials wanted to fire Kamertzal, but that they risked having to reinst having him reinstated through arbitration. Ah, now maybe a little sympathy for the mayor here. After a ten month investigation, city officials concluded that Kamertzal would be given two weeks off without pay, but would be allowed to take paid vacation during that time. Hilarious. So what she's okay. saying here is because police are completely fucking unaccountable in America. Because their union contracts, just like in Seattle, basically prevent you from firing them. They this this gives a little credibility to the argument that on some level they took this seriously, went through a 10 month investigation and came up with the best that they could do was suspend him for two weeks. And let just him give him vacation. vacation because literally worried just that let him go on vacation when they say that he should. So he had to like basically like schedule his Cancun trip early is basically yeah, exactly. like what they're saying. And what they're saying is if they if they had fired him for this stuff, the union, he and the union probably would have appealed it 
and there would have been a serious risk, according to like the legal teams that they got on this, that they would that they would have had to reinstate him, meaning that they would have paid him for probably like a year, or they would have, you know, because then he'd get reinstated with back pay, right? So they fire him. Yeah, he goes through this appeal process for a year, and then they've still got him around. They've got to rehire him back and give him like a year's worth of pay. And this is the decision cities go through all the time when looking at disciplining police officers. It's fucking impossible. So we don't. And so what you do instead is you just hide it. You cover it up because you can't fucking discipline them. You can't actually fire them. You can't get rid of these fucking people. All it can do is cost you a shitload of money. No, they literally run the city. In in every single like freaking municipality, they like absolutely run the city. It's ridiculous. And so what do you do? And that's what they did. They gave him the paid vacation because they couldn't come up with anything better. That was what we believed was legally defensible, Ralph said, citing the attorney they hired, blah, 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 um, that the city risked having the decision reversed in arbitration, that Cameron Saul would return to work and he would be untouchable. So here's the details. Cameron Saul, a 27-year Kent police veteran was targeted for investigation after a detective complained that the assistant chief had posted the rank insignia of a Nazi Obergruppenfuhrer uh, <laughs> over the nameplate oh. on his office door and referred to himself oh by that rank, one of the highest in the Third Reich, held by officials, officials who oversaw the slave labor and death camps. Um, yeah, he, he, he gave himself the, you know, collar uh, badges of uh a an ss general basically um the investigation also showed that kamerzal had at one point shaved his facial hair into a hitler mustache and been photographed in lederhosen apparently giving a stiff-armed nazi salute during the city's 2019 oktoberfest celebration <laughs> not the oktoberfest celebration man no in get the- out of here I- <laughs> In the past, he's just doing the floss dance. He's doing the floss dance on yeah. everyone's lives right now. This bro. is a guy. Oh my goodness! This is a guy who is a cop. Supposedly, in the fucking liberal imagination, people who are out there trying to serve and protect us with guns, literally, clearly getting off on the fact that he is basically an American SS officer, understanding correctly that he is. A Nazi as an assistant chief, he is a he might be actually overstating his rank a bit. He's, um, Untergruppenführer might have been uh more accurate, but um, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a right trait in itself. Um, you know, uh, so but he's correctly politicized as he is, identifying that he is indeed an American SS officer. Um, he yeah. in the past he had joked that his grandfather died in the Holocaust by falling drunk out of a Nazi guard tower. <laughs> cool um, ass guy, dude. I mean, um, wow. Uh, and then he says, "Oh, he told investigators he didn't understand the significance of the rank which he adopted after watching the television series Man in the High Castle." Oh, come I mean, I'm, on. I'm that's guessing so he liked good. that show. I'm sure that's true. He, um, I mean, that's like a very specific rank to cite, my guy. Well, I don't know. He, you know, he's not. How do you not know the understand the significance of the rank? They couldn't fire him because he didn't say yes. I am a Nazi. Um, I that's why I'm a cop. That's why I like you know, like whatever. That, 
I, I, I am a Nazi. That's why I, I uh, am in the United States, a uh, country that basically uh, informed Hitler and the Nazis of how to do their business, which then Hitler then took and, you know, created his own thing and uh, was funded by the U.S. And then, you know, actually in it's, it's funny with Nazis because Nazis even looked at the U.S. and saw their racial policies mm-hmm. like for instance uh if you have a just one drop of negro blood you are uh, not not white you are uh you are a black person uh they looked at that and they were like that goes a little bit too far i don't know about <laughs> that one like i mean like, even the, <laughs> even the nazis were looking at the yeah, us and being like ah that's a little much man i don't know <laughs> you, know? you could have jews in your family a couple generations back and be an uber group and fear <laughs> like the and i mean yeah, uh billionaires like the rockefellers uh you know uh funded the like nazis heavily and all yeah. of that shit yeah uh two simpatico nations um right you know right. got on the wrong side you know wrong sides of a, of a big war uh because uh of you know just geopolitical circumstance and you know hitler just going too far but not by you know uh doing genocide but by like you know uh invading poland and and pissing off the british hmm. so basically the mayor says he will not be coming to work in the city of kent but this is going to be a process it's probably going to cost us a lot of money and like some kind of settlement with him and the union blah 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 and that's where they're stuck and what a story of like the untouchability of the cops like they can't fire this guy they're gonna now it's gonna cost a shitload of money you can be literally hitler and not get fired as a cop and you can literally like cosplay and like uh you know make them call you a nazi rank and actually be hitler and you can't get fired incredible and maybe they were thinking like, okay, now we're going to watch this guy like a hawk. We're going to find every fucking violation that comes up from now. And eventually we're going to get enough where we could fire him and he won't be dismissed, blah, 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 whatever. Um, but you know what never occurred to them at the time was to not cover it up. <clears throat> yeah. Because that is the power of now this international backlash at this Nazi fucking cop, like flaunting the fact that he's a fucking uh, fascist out there as he's you know wielding a gun and ordering people around in uh his community who wield guns now yeah there's this international backlash they're in they're embarrassed and they have to deal with this but you know they could have had some fucking courage and gone public with it originally i mean i'm sure that was also a violation of the fucking police union contract <laughs> but this is politics if they had viewed this politically as they should as the police as a politicized force in their fucking city. And if they had like the inclination to do that in the first place, they could have made it public somehow and tried to get public support. And, you know, they're going to use this backlash to make the union not want to back this guy up uh, to make their support of him and his like appeal or whatever pro forma. They're still going to fucking do it. Um, Because they don't give a shit. But, you know, that's probably the strategy they're going to take. And they could have done that in the beginning. Just like fucking Lisa Harbold could have said, yeah, 
the police shouldn't be doing ruses at all. Fuck you. And they shouldn't have had the reaction they did against the protests where people should be allowed to fucking march through the street and do whatever they want. Um, but you, you know, that's an ideological commitment and that takes like, look, people are afraid of the police. People are afraid of being wrong about like for someone like Lisa Herbold, part of it, you're probably also thinking like, well, I can't just come out and say police can't do ruses. Cause like, there's probably all these cases that they do. And like a million people will come out to defend the fact that police do ruses. And the reason you know, an inoculant against that would be having a a movement and a party with an ideology backing you up that you could go to and yep. say, should I say, like, am I wrong that police just shouldn't do ruses? And a, and maybe a bunch of smart people who support you could go like, no, 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 that's total bullshit. We sh- they should not do that. That's in our program for how much police suck and what we hate about them. They should never do that. And then you could go out there and say that. And when people said, no, 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 police need to do that to keep us safe, you could just go suck my dick i don't care and know that they'll back you up yeah fuck off you know i mean yep whatever we don't have that in, dem- in democrats me. that's just not what we have yeah and and, and guys we're, we're not gonna have that in the democrats just fyi <laughs> like no, not. <laughs> that's not something that the democrats are interested in creating <laughs> so that's what's going on uh locally with uh our favorite uh, boys in blue, um, Munya. I I am. I hear that the uh, newly in- democratically installed cop junta in New York uh, has now grown. <laughs> the family has grown a little bit. I think we. Pro- I think the last family week has we grown. That um, I think we mentioned last week that uh, Eric Adams, the new cop mayor of NYC, appointed his brother to a position. Yeah, that turned out to be um, police commissioner. So a little fun, little bit of nepotism there. Um, but there's a new development too, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mayor Adams uh, just off to just a banger of a week, just like hit after hit. Um, uh, he announced that a uh, former chief Philip Banks the third. Um, well, I guess Philip Banks the third technically announced his own appointment in like a op-ed, but um, he announced that he was going to be uh, deputy mayor. Uh, <laughs> and if you don't know who Philip Banks the third is, uh, you know he is a guy who um, resigned in 2014 from the NYPD because he was subject to a federal corruption investigation. Uh, which he had to like formally resign from. But uh, Mayor Adams was just like, fuck it. We're going to bring this guy back as deputy mayor. (laughs) Hell yeah. Deputy mayor for public safety, uh, an unindicted co-conspirator in a federal police corruption probe. And uh, the, the police commissioner is the brothers is the mayor's brother. Great. Love it. I'm sure that's going to go great. Um, uh, Lots of great things happening in New York. The funniest thing to me is that like he like dismissed the concerns over like the corruption investigation, um, which was like about like him and other like he was like a high ranking police official. um, And he was just like, no, 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 guys, you have it all wrong. I resigned for reasons. But this was not one of them. <laughs> it was nice. nothing to do with being a co-conspirator Look, in a federal. I just happened to resign family. in that moment. <laughs> yeah, 
Look, man, I've look, I've spent <laughs> enough time with my family. I'm ready to come back to city government. Yeah, please. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, more awful story in New York. Obviously, this is like uh, probably an international story at this point. Really awful fire that so far has killed. Um, I think the count's down at like 17 people um, in a formerly public housing housing building in the Bronx. Um, now a, you know, like all public housing, a, uh, you know, housing voucher building. Some of the details are interesting from this, Munya, yeah? Yeah. Um, it's a pretty horrific uh, incident. And, I, you know, the New York Times actually, I think, uh, had this uh, write-up uh, where the uh, title was, oh, we were just trying to breathe. Frantic rush to escape from the smoke. And I just wanted to just like read this quick uh, section here. Wesley Patterson, 28, a resident for more than 20 years, shuffled into his bathroom to wash up around 11 a.m. when his girlfriend knocked on his door. She said she'd just look out the window and had seen flames coming out of the apartment next door. Thick black smoke began to flood their apartment. Within seconds, Mr. Patterson could barely see his girlfriend or her brother, and they were on the other side of the room. We were just trying to breathe, he said. He rushed them to the back window and the promise of fresh air and some relief. That window was very hot to touch, burning his hands, but he fought it open. The move backfired. Smoke began flooding into the apartment. He slammed the window back down. Frantic scenes like this were playing out in apartments throughout the 19-story building as parents and children sought to escape from homes that were suddenly black and airless. Tony Johnson, 54, an army veteran scrambled for his old gas mask, but couldn't find it. So a total uh, I mean, like this is such a tragic uh, story and it started because of um, apparently someone was using a space heater. Now you would ask, why would someone be using a space heater in a building if it had heat? Um, great question. Uh, it turns out that uh, one, I think the landlords uh, controlled the um, heat and there have been numerous complaints uh, from tenants before that there was not adequate heating or the heating was just completely turned off. So people kind of take matters into their own hands, get space heaters, um, you know, just make do because remember, this is not ran by the city. This is ran or the state. Um, this is ran by private investors. Now. These private investors who do take money from the city in a voucher program, a public-private voucher uh, scheme, um, in theory, they're supposed to take money from the government. They get, they put that money into actually investing in the building, right? So, like you know, uh, I don't know, having adequate heating, good water, um, you know, upkeep. Um, but you have to remember that they are private investors now. Um, so they just pocketed the money, uh, did not really invest much in the building, and people had to resort to space heaters, uh, which then ended up causing a huge fire, uh, killing uh, at least 17 people so far. Now, uh, the private investors who are uh, own this building, members of Eric Adams' transition team. Oh, absolute, absolute win for Eric Adams again. You can definitely imagine how Eric Adams uh, responded to this. I'm sure as mayor, he was like, he had to set aside the fact that someone was on his transition team. He had to, 
you know, step up and be New York City's uh, people's champion, denounce them for their heinous acts and expropriate the building, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, let's uh, let's hear from Eric Adams. Yeah, let's let's check it out. Let's hear what he has to say. And if we take one message from this that Commissioner Nigro has mentioned several times, close the door, close the door. That was embedded in my head as a child watching the commercials over and over again. We're going to double down on that message. Okay, very interesting. If we're to take one message from this, close the door. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that from the fire investigation, they know, they seem to know it started in one apartment from a space heater. And that when the people ran out of the fire, the door into the hallway was left open. And this caused enormous amounts of black smoke to billow through literally the entire building, like every floor. Um, And this is what all the injuries were from, apparently. It's a deaths is from smoke inhalation. Um, The fire was didn't spread like to the entire building. It was put out. But many people had already died and become, become seriously injured from smoke inhalation. And. Adams here is saying we're going to do a big public, you know, education campaign. Close that door behind you. Um, Just addition, close the door. In addition to like, you know, the fact that they're using a space heater, which if they had a functioning apartment, they wouldn't need to. Uh, it's the, literally the law in New York that uh, doors close automatically um, for fire for fire safety. Um, because this is how fires and smoke spread. Uh, this one they found open. Uh, it didn't close automatically. And you know, again, it's another thing. Like the just like the landlord has said, oh yeah, the heat the heat was working, man. I swear to God. They also said, hey, we have this record here that we changed that lock on that door in July, and oh yeah, it said everything was working. It was working, so we inspected it not you know six months ago. Um, I mean, like whatever you know it's those things at the top of the door the little hydraulic arm thing you know like those things yeah. last for decades like they're not complicated piece of machinery so like it was either it wasn't working they're just lying like whoever went to they didn't actually check that you know but they checked all the boxes yeah yeah it's fine um when they did the few things they do care about like changing the locks you know when you go into buildings like this like these voucher buildings you'll find everything is broken except the security cameras and the locks you know that they put the money into the things they want to they don't into other things so the automatic door didn't work and the heat clearly like it's a fucking small apartment you don't need a space heater if you've got if the building central heating is adequately heating your apartment so here's eric it doesn't take it doesn't take much at all (laughs) to heat that apartment here's eric adams saying like, yeah, yeah. The big takeaway here is like, man, you got to close your door. Don't use space heaters. I'm sure it's going to be a message here that you're seeing all around the media. And yeah, yeah. Close the door behind you in a fire, man. Like, really. Raising space awareness. Just blaming the fucking person whose apartment you got fire. You idiot. You idiot poor person who's like, you know, like suffering with no heat in the middle of uh, January in New York while there's like snow on the ground. Uh, how dare you try to like provide adequate heat for yourself when you're getting left for dead. You idiot. How about you like close the door for once? Think about other people that that's, that's like, you know, such a ghoulish fucking like crazy statement to make. 
But at the same time, it's not a crazy statement because it's the shit that we get every day from these fucks. Yeah. And, and it it's covers, not unique to Eric Adams. It covers for the real estate interests that he's clearly friends with. And I mean, honestly, even if they weren't on his transition team, even if you didn't know the landlords personally, like. No, yeah, he'll still cover them because they're a part of a class. It's like that is the literal job of mayors and the job of local politics is to just uh, is to cover for real estate. Real estate dominates local politics. And so, I mean, the fact that he's on a transition team is just like, you know, an extra little like, you know nice thing like it's a nice gift for us to talk about because it just like underscores the point but make no mistake that even if he wasn't or even if he had no connection the real estate capital in cities is what dominates local politics it's what funds the campaigns it's what ultimately is protected as capital when we talk about protecting property that's what the cops protect that's what the mayors protect that's how the cities uh are organized is to protect private property, specifically uh, real estate capital. These yeah. are the guys. Yeah. Um, so Eric Adams really shaping up to be one of the biggest pieces of shit living in America or in power in America anyway. Um, really it's disgusting thing. I mean, it was just a, another driving, similar driving fire insane. in a low-income building, I think in Pittsburgh last week, that killed like 13 people. Our public, This was a public housing building, like a pretty... Um, it was supposed to be a pretty nice one. Um, like care was put into building it in the early seventies uh, to make like a nice neighborhood. And, but we know like we, you know, it's something to think about. Like we know, like we need more than that to keep our, to keep people housed and safe and communities in poverty from like running like a, a place someone would want to live. And that's not what we did with our, uh, public housing developments in America in places like the Bronx, black communities, they were built with what was left of the like sort of New Deal era politics and then quickly abandoned and eventually turned over what was left of them crumbling to the private sector who, you know, never invested a dollar in them. What I'm saying is there's going to be more deaths in uh, low-income housing like this more math mass death events as all yeah. of our infrastructure that is from the fucking 60s uh continues to crumble and people just get fucking poorer and poorer which we've been riding off of this infrastructure for a while i mean it's literally feels like kind of like a car you know that's like driving really fast and drives off a cliff but the wheels are still spinning and it's going at the same trajectory uh but it's not on anything anymore it's it's gonna fall down you know after the car yeah, slows down wily coyote man Exactly right. And that's what we've been doing because we haven't been investing like that since the 60s. So, I mean, main point for housing uh, involving any sort of private investor or private ownership in buildings uh, completely negates the purpose of public housing. Uh, We just we just cannot have that. If you want if you have a profit seeking capitalist running your shit, you're going to get results of someone who is seeking profit. There's a direct a uh, contradiction between that and people actually living in a safe building and uh you know actually having a good time. Yeah. So something to think about. Yep. Uh awful stuff. Uh well, Munia, this has been fun as always. Nice to talk with you. Um Yeah, no, yeah, same here. Everybody, Greg. sorry for bumming you out. You're <laughs> you're tuning into the show to get bummed out. Let's be real. <laughs> All right. Uh, Good night, everybody. (laughs) Good night.